Our scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs. Please find chapter 3 of Proverbs. We'll be reading the first 12 verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. This is the word of God. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. This is God's word. It stands forever. We will get into in a moment. First of all, from R.M. Palmer, a pastor from the last century in his book, The Family in its Civil and Churchly Aspects. The Family in its Civil and churchly aspects, because of course, the family has no connection to the civil sphere, right? But we learn our civil responsibilities, do we not, first in the family. If we don't learn responsibilities toward one another, towards our neighbors and the family, it will be very difficult, if not impossible, to learn them in the civil sphere. But here's what Pastor R.M. Palmer says from his book, The Family in Its Civil and Churchly Aspects. Quote, a subdued will is the indispensable condition of child happiness. We're already opposite of what we're hearing today. Already. It didn't take long, did it? A subdued will is the indispensable condition of child happiness. Its desires are so capricious and its moods are so changeable as to be sources of positive torture to it unless they are constantly controlled by a power that is steadier than its own. In the home, it learns that life's pleasure is to be found in the faithful performance of duty and that self-conquest is the indispensable aid to happiness. Self-conquest. Self-government is indispensable to happiness. Have you ever seen a child that's not restrained? Have you ever seen that? If you haven't, get out to the grocery store sometime, or better yet, out to some store where they have toys where kids can see them. And the child lights everything up, starts screaming and yelling. Now, this is a child that's used to getting his own and he's miserable how can that be it's because the truth of what we just heard from Pastor Palmer here 
is not engaged in. And the truth from which we just heard from Proverbs chapter 3 is rejected. Now why do I say this is such an important passage when it comes to success? Did, did, did you see the kind of like one-two punch that we see throughout these first 12 verses? It actually goes on, but so obvious in these first 12 verses. And I want to make this point because it connects child-rearing and child-chastening to success. Again, our way is to separate child-chastening from success. Let's look over it again. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. So we see the statement, now we see the result, the success result. And see if, as we read this, see if every one of these successful points is not something that obviously is a part of general success. Okay? So first one, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Here's the successful point. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Not bad for success, right? Long life, but long life with difficulty and long life with pain may not be such a blessing. The writer of the Proverbs knows this. That's why he says for long life and peace. Ah, long life and peace, not bad. In fact, very good. All right, so now we have the, in verse 3, let not mercy and truth forsake you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Okay, that's what you're supposed to do now. Here's the success part. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Now that's interesting because we, in Christian circles, we kind of downplay that a little bit, right? Favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. But that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be respected by man. It's not a bad thing to have favor and high esteem in the sight of man. It's certainly obviously not um, looked down on, shall we say, in the sight of God. Now, think about that for a minute. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. We don't have a whole lot of verses like that in the Bible. This is how, and this would be your, um, if you want to start a success book club or perhaps a success ministry of some kind or maybe even, I don't know, a DVD series or something. How to find favor and high esteem in the sight of God. It can be done. And it can be done in the sight of both God and man. Right here, we're told how to do that. To love mercy and truth. Mercy and truth, by the way, in our age of success books, mercy and truth are not seen as good things. Although they'll say they're good things. But we don't live in a nation of mercy with 60 million dead babies. We, we say we do. We're all about mercy. We're all about our neighbor. We're all about accepting everyone. Now, we, we need to exercise mercy God's way. And truth? Truth? Truth is hated. Truth is rejected. 
But God says, you embrace mercy and truth, you'll find favor with him and you'll find favor with man. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here's the statement, here's what you need to do. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And now here's the benefit, the success benefit. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So earlier we saw length of days and long life and we saw peace with it. We saw high esteem and favor in the sight of God and man. And now we see, I mean, really quite a statement of health here. Very specific. Health to your flesh and strength to your bones. How much, how many billions of dollars are spent on that every single year? Trillions even, possibly, worldwide. Number nine, we have another directive and then another benefit in verse 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's a good thing. It would be a good thing to have your barns filled with plenty and your vats, your, your barrels, if you will, filled up with wine. This is good. How do you get there? Honoring the Lord with your possession with the first fruits of all your increase. This is quite the chapter, it seems to me, on success. Nothing that is said so far as anything that anyone I know would have a problem with. Length of days, long life and peace, eh, don't want that. Physical possessions, high esteem, eh, don't want that. But now look at verses 11 and 12 in the parallelism here. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now we could all agree and get behind, I think, the first 10 verses. But 11 and 12 look a little funny to us, perhaps, do they not? Do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor detest his correction, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. In other words, what's being said here is, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. See it as love. Did you hear me this morning, my friends? One method of success from God's standpoint towards his children is chastening. Some of you will recognize that this verse is repeated also in the book of Hebrews. Remember another verse from the book of Proverbs. He who spares the rod, remember, hates, hates his son. Quite a statement. And that's quite a statement, not because it's from the word of God. We should embrace it, we should understand it. It's only quite a statement because our entire culture is ganged up against it. And I don't know if anybody's noticed, but our entire culture is falling apart at the seams. And it seems the more we fall apart, the more we hate the word of God. It's an amazing thing. On our own, we cannot find our way. 
Well, I want to turn to this morning and the time that we have here before we take part in communion. I want to turn to four great advantages or reasons why children must obey their parents. So turn with me, with me if you would, like we did last week, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. And Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, once again. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And while we're at it, let's go over to Colossians chapter 3, which essentially says the same thing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Colossians 3, 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, lest they become discouraged. We'll talk about that a little bit. In fact, we'll mention it now. Proverb, uh, children, uh, obey your parents, but fathers, do not pr provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And that may seem like contradictory to some. But what's being said right there is that if, you're, if children are supposed to obey, obey their parents, then they must have something to obey, right? There must be a command or two somewhere, right? Or lots of commands somewhere. You gotta give them something to obey. And this hands-off idea, which is totally ridiculous in our modern culture, does not understand a verse like this at all. Because they will say the best parenting is the one where the children don't have anything to obey, they obey themselves. It's a disaster. But then the check on it is fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. And of course what's being said here is the fathers, in this case, their job is to train their children and they're supposed to, and the child's job is to use obedience in that training. We discipline rebellion, but we train childishness. We direct childishness. And not all childishness is, re, is rebellion, is it? Some children are better at um, remembering where they put their shoes than others. Anybody who's ever child has been through that absolute shoe battle. It's, 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 it's a total ongoing battle that starts when they're first able to even put on shoes and doesn't end till, I don't know, in some cases, I don't know, maybe, where's my wife? Has it, has it ended yet in my case? It mostly has. Seems to end not until like, you know, 10 or 11 or 12, right? And it's not necessarily rebellion if a child just keeps losing his shoes. We want to train that. We want to shape that. That's different from the statement that comes back to a parent sometime when a child is told to do something and instead of doing it, the child says, no. Well, now we have outright rebellion and that's an obvious opportunity to exercise an example of the chastening that we have spoke of already. 
Well, these four items that I want to uh, share with you this morning want to talk about the, the four things, four things, parental obedience and honor is the bridge between duty to God and duty to neighbor. Number two, parental obedience and honor is the first duty of existence. Number three, parental obedience and honor is the first knowledge of connection between rights and responsibilities. And number four, your parents are the most qualified people in all the world to honor and obey. So the first point, parental obedience and honor is the bridge between duty to God and duty to neighbor. Turn with me, if you would, to the Ten Commandments, which is where we first see this in, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Again, Paul, or, um, Moses sees this as super important. He's, he's going back over the, 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 the history of their existence. And a lot of what he said so far is just kind of their history. This is mostly what he said so far. And then he goes into what they must do. And he starts early in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He's got a lot more to say. And the first four uh, uh, commandments, if you will, have to do directly with God. I am the Lord your God, verse 6 of Exodus 5, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Have no other gods, number one. Number two, verse 8, you shall not make it for yourself a carved image. And then number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And number four, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. And he goes for, for a while right there. Now that is, I think, a statement of love towards God and neighbor. But I believe that the next uh, commandment here, commandment number five, is the transition, if you will, from strictly loving God to loving neighbor because of what God has said. We do not love our neighbor because our neighbor is so wonderful. Our neighbors might be jerks. In fact, they probably are. They're people after all. People tend to be jerks. You've noticed this, I'm sure. But we love our neighbor because what God has said, not because of what our neighbor has said. It's like taxes. We pay taxes because God told us to pay taxes, not because the tax collector told us to pay them. And that's the case here. So we, we're, we're, we've got a transition going on here between, what's, between love of God and obedience to God, as far as God is concerned, very directly, to our neighbor's. And so parental obedience and honor is the bridge between duty to God and duty to neighbor. It's actually duty to both. Verse 16, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Do you see the combination there? Twice we have the Lord your God in that one command, just one verse and one command. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Again, talking about success, I want to see that success seminar. I really do. Your days may be long and it may be well with you. How do we get that, Mr. Seminar Teacher? How do we do it? Well, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. Begin with that. 
I uh, don't know how many people you'll get to come to your seminar, but you'll be doing the right thing in any case. I find it amazing, even, even Christian folks pay far less attention, way too little attention to this verse, which is repeated in the New Testament as we saw and referenced in the New Testament. I, 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 I'm, I'm amazed that this verse does not get the play that it should get. It's an amazing thing to me. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's a very specific statement. And Paul even says in the New Testament, it's the first commandment with promise. Parental obedience and honor is the bridge between duty to God and duty to neighbor. Because right after this, right, right after this bridge here, then we get the duty to neighbor, do not murder, adultery, steal, false witness, and covet. They all have to do with neighbor following that. Number two then, parental obedience and honor is the first duty of existence. What do I mean by that? We'll take a newborn baby. Newborn baby needs to have sustenance. A newborn baby has to be wrapped, for example, has to be put to bed, has to be protected. Thankfully, Thankfully, the baby is too little to resist. <laughs> Let's think about this for a minute. A newborn baby even, are they really, really good at honoring father and mother? Are they really, really good at doing what they need to have done? Have you ever had a newborn baby, held a newborn baby? There are times when they will just fight you. Augustine said, that the innocence of, ch of childhood, of babies, is not that they're innocent as far as sinfulness is concerned. They got plenty of sin going on the moment they're born. Actually, the moment they're conceived, as is said in the scriptures. But their innocence is in their ability to wreak the havoc they would like to wreak. They don't have the strength to really do the damage that they would like to do. And little babies, they can seriously resist you. You know, how, do you know how much easier it would be to have children if as soon as they were born, they came out of the womb, they were just like, you know what, mom and dad, I know I can't talk yet, but I just can't wait to honor you in everything that you say and do. That would transform child rearing. But that's not the case. But it's the first duty of their existence. They have to, in the end, because they don't have the strength to resist, they have to do what they're told. In a sense, they're forced to honor their mother. The mother will teach them how to eat. Father will teach them right from wrong from the very beginning. Parental obedience and honor is the first duty of existence. Think of, uh, of the impossibility of existence if honor and obedience doesn't exist. If a child grew up constantly disobeying, doing the opposite of what his parents wanted him to do, how long would he last? Eat your food. Nah, I don't think I want to do that. Go to bed. Nah, I'm not going to do that. I want to stay up all night. How long would that last? Don't want to eat, don't want to sleep. Parents, isn't that where you battle 
Aren't those, just eating and sleeping, aren't those two areas of major battle in your own, in your own life, in, in, in your own home? And in the end, a child has to honor that or he will cease to exist for sure. Parental obedience and honor is the first duty of existence. Number three, parental obedience and honor is the first knowledge of connection between rights and responsibilities. You know why we have this entitled generation that we have now, which is, which is just no, doing nothing but wreaking havoc and is doing nothing but inviting destruction and judgment on our entire land? Part of it is because we have no idea of the, right, of, of the existence between rights and responsibilities. A child needs to learn the connection between rights and responsibilities. And who's going to teach them? Who? If it's not mom and dad, I want to know who is going to teach this. See, our problem is that we want to have rights. We talk about rights all the time, all the time. In our legislation, in our discussions, who's got the rights? We were at, some of us were at Lancaster recently, the Lancaster City, um, at the city council there. And they were talking about the rights of homeless people to set up camp in the city parks, right? That was, they have a right to be there. And it turned out they had the right to be there and there and there and there. And they had the right to be there for the rest of their lives. And Tyrus and I were there and we had to talk about the rights of the unborn to live. And they don't want to talk about it. You see, these people that talk, that don't understand the, the, the connection between rights and responsibilities, they will get rights wrong every time. They will. If they can't connect these two, they'll get them wrong all the time. A child will learn the connection between rights and responsibilities. They have to if they're going to mature. Isn't, isn't, my friends, isn't that the maturing process? Isn't that what it is? Isn't a mature person a person who understands that if I'm going to be able to drive on the road, I'm going to have to stay on the proper side? That's a connection between rights and responsibilities. Parental obedience and honor is the first knowledge of connection between those two. And as a child grows, he or she will learn that as they obey and honor her par their parents, they will get more privileges, more opportunities. But the child that just resists and resists and resists is the one the parents can't let out of their sight. So children, do you want, are you, are, are, are you resisting against what your parents tell you? Do you see them as the object of, of kind of like a, 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 an object against your happiness, if you will? The rules in your home, how long you can play video games, whether or not you're allowed to play video games, what time you have to go to bed, these things, and, oh man, I wish I'd, I, I, I'm just resisting against this. This is opposite the way you should see it, my young friends. You should see this as a great privilege to obey your parents. It's a privilege. 
Not everybody has it. There are some people who grow up orphans. They grow up with a drunk father and are raised by their grandmothers. They miss out on the privilege of obedience to parents. Children, understand this. You have a privilege to obey and honor your mother and father. That's a privilege. Not everybody has it. Those who don't have it wish they did, for the most part. Parental obedience and honor is the first knowledge of connection between rights and responsibilities. So we've seen, number one, parental obedience and honor is the bridge between duty to God and duty to neighbor. Think about that. If you're going to teach duty to God and duty to neighbor, how would you connect the two? God does it through the family. Right through the family. That's how he does it. Number two, parental obedience and honor is the first duty of existence. You won't live if you don't do what your parents tell you, make you do. Number three, parental obedience and honor is the first knowledge of connection between rights and responsibilities. Number four, your parents are the most qualified people in all the world to honor and obey. Kids, can you think of anyone more qualified to honor and obey than your parents? Now, some people resist and say, why? I don't want to obey anyone. I don't want to ever do what I'm told. I've heard that kind of thing. No one tells me what to do. Oh, really? Get in your car, as we've mentioned before, and try driving down the wrong side of the road and see how long your new rebellious revolution lasts. Go busting through a stop sign when you're driving. See how that works out. You're obeying all the time. These people that want to say, Why don't I, no, no one tells me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. They don't do whatever they want. They go out and they get in the car and they're the most obedient people ever. Or they better be. This idea that we don't obey is foolish nonsense. You obey a lot. You know who the most qualified people are to obey in all your life? The most people, the people that deserve your obedience the most the most is your parents. They bore you. They changed your diaper when you didn't even know what that meant. You didn't even know what that was. They washed you when you would rather be filthy. They did all this. These people are qualified for you to love, honor, respect, and obey your parents. The state, who wants to tell you what to do all the time, direct your downsittings and your uprisings. What have they ever done for you? Seriously, think about it. What's the, what's the state done for you? They weren't changing your diaper. They weren't feeding you when you were hungry. They didn't care about you. Not only they care about you when you're a tax-paying subject, then they care kind of a lot. But prior to then, yeah, let the parents do the dirty work. Now, your parents are the most qualified people in all the world to honor and obey. In all your life, you won't have anyone more qualified to honor and obey than your parents. You won't. Teachers, they'll have another class next year. 
but your parents are there the whole time. Well, how do we apply this? Well, in a sense, this entire sermon has been one of application. And that's what is happening really in Ephesians chapter 5. If we go back there for just a moment. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. You know, when we talk about rights, why don't we start here? Obeying your parents because it's right. Honoring father and mother because it has a promise that it may be well with you. This is a good and right thing, and this is something that is taught throughout the scriptures. We were talking about this yesterday in our, in our leadership meeting, and uh, John brought up, John Bingham brought up the, the, this point. We were talking about examples in the Bible, and it seems like examples in the Bible are more negative than they are positive. We have the positive statements here, and especially in Proverbs. But the negative examples are pretty extensive. In the Bible, we talk about ne seriously negative examples, and they are definitely there. Uh, an obvious one is Absalom with David. David refusing to rebuke Absalom ever. A great failure on his part. And as a result of this, Absalom nearly toppled the entire kingdom. And there's many other examples as well. Not too many positive examples. And I was thinking about that later on. I was thinking, you know what? We, we probably learn more from the negative examples than we do from the positive examples. We're told positively what to do. And then we're shown negatively what not to do in the Bible. This thing is beyond important, shall we say. Can you think of something that, with, 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 that doesn't have like longer term consequences than this what we're talking about right here? Children and parents. And one other thing, children. I know your parents, they have problems, don't they? Yeah, you children can name them, can't you? Can't you name your, the, the problems your parents have? Yeah, you can. But I want to ask you a question as we bring this thing to a close. I want to ask you children a question. What are your children going to say about you? What kind of problems do you have in your life right now, children, right now, right now, that your children are going to complain about? So the next time you go on in a railing of your parents in your head, kids, and you're, you're, you're rehearsing their problems, Next time, I have a suggestion for you. However long it takes you to go through the, your parents' problems in your head, see if you can match it with your own problems. And that will like maybe, shall we say, have a, um, a chilling effect, if we can say it that way, on your antipathy and your, your long list of your parents' problems. But I've got another thing to say to children today. And I can't say it any better than what J.C. Ryle says it. And he talks about the fact that children, ultimately, yes, they need to obey their parents, but obeying your parents, my friends, is a means to an end. It's an end in itself, yeah, in some ways, but it's also a means to an end. 
we ultimately must obey our creator. That creator that has sent his son to die for, the, for your sins, for the sins of his people. And J.C. Ryle says this, and I close today on this communion Sunday with an appeal to every young person and older person, but especially younger person here. Where are you with Christ? Have you believed in Christ yet? Do you believe that since you're from a Christian family that that's gonna get you in the door somehow? Didn't work for Absalom, I can tell you that much. Listen to what Ryle says. Oh, my young friend, if you have been a careless trifler with the gospel of Christ, danger infinitely worse, eternal danger threatens you. Awake, awake, I beseech you to awake. Awake before it is too late, before eternity seals your doom. Awake, I beseech you, and begin to mind that one thing that is so needful to you. Food is not half so needful to the poor wretch, perishing of hunger, nor help to him that is sinking in the sea or scorching in the flames. Perhaps all that I urge you to gain your attention is urged in vain. Shall it be so? Will you slight your God and make your own destruction sure? Will you be a crueler enemy to yourself than even devils themselves could possibly be to you? Alas, if you will, what must be your condition soon? But, he goes on to say, let me hope better of you and offer you one request. Look up to God, look up to God, and believe in Christ. Young person today, have you believed in Christ? Have you? You've heard the word preached perhaps here and other places. Perhaps you attend a Christian school or a home school and you've heard the word again and again and again. But where are you with Christ? I urge you today to consider this along with J.C. Ryle here. Where are you with Christ? Have you believed? Or have you just floated along like a log down the river? Where are you? Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of marriage and family. Thank you for the wonderful duties that are connected therewith. Thank you for those. We pray this morning, O oh Lord, that every child in this church would learn how to lovingly obey and honor his or her parents. And we thank you for the means by which we can transfer your word to future generations, the means by which we can promote your word even here in Lancaster County. And we beg, we pray that children in this fellowship would be very, very good at obedience and honoring to parents. Not because they're, they're perfect or not because they're such wonderful people all the time. No one is. But because your word commands it. And we pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.